Hello, and welcome to this final episode of Simplify Complexity, the podcast from DTP. I'm Matt Armstrong-Barnes, Chief Technologist for Artificial Intelligence at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. And for this final episode, it is just going to be myself and Howard Hall, CEO of DTP, talking about artificial intelligence. And we're going to cover some of the nitty gritty, what it is, how it works, some of the use cases that we're seeing executed out there in the wider world, and really how organizations are getting critical value out of this transformative technology. So Howard, how would you describe AI in a board meeting? When you're surrounded by board members, they've, they've not really heard of this technology. What, what, what would you, how would you describe it? How would you bring it alive for them? I suppose you can play on the, the phrase itself, artificial intelligence, really. Um, from my perspective, it's, I think as we've covered off, it's, it's the opportunity I guess in a traditional AI mode is to 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 automate and deliver. You know, yeah. You know, for me, it says there's a melting pot, isn't there, around AI and ML and and you know, I guess transfer learning and, and you know, bring analytics into that as well. It all comes into that sort of same sort of melting pot, doesn't it? But in reality, it's you know where I'd start in the boardroom is is around business outcomes. It's it's trying to drive home the fact that this technology here that we can sort of take advantage of to deliver things that humans and I guess traditional technology can't I mean that's a good point I think it's it's really focusing on the outcomes I mean I I work on lots of AI engagements speak to lots of customers about AI and I only once have I ever been asked by a customer about stochastic logistic regression you know, we, we, you don't need to focus in at AI at that kind of level. If, if you're a deep technologist like me, you do, and you're interested in that stuff. But from a board level perspective, you, you're not interested in those dynamics. You're interested in, I've got a problem, which is I've got too much unstructured data that I really need to find the value of. What technologies and techniques can I bring in to find that value? And I think that's a that's the challenge is how we get the business conversation linked up with the technology where we can abstract away from all that complexity because you just don't need to know it. So I don't know if, if that's from a, in the conversations that you're having about how AI can change things, you know, it's, it's it, I assume you're having a much more at a business transformation level. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I mean, if you look at it from two angles, really, one is doing the, some things that you're already doing an awful lot better. Uh, so it's that sort of process uh, improvement. You know, examples I'd sort of give there really would be, uh, it was our everyday uh, example until COVID hit was jet engines, for instance. You know, in the olden days, you used to decommission a, 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 an airliner to take everything to pieces, to check everything, and then to build it back up again and then put it back into commission, which you know, took months plus. And now uh, with sensors on everything and things being predicted and monitored and pattern matching, uh, et cetera, while the plane has a anomaly spotted in the air, it can be fixed while it's on the ground you know, unloading and loading new passengers. So that's sort of an example I would use of, uh, of optimizing sort of current process, I guess, to deliver 
uh, efficiencies and competitive advantage because obviously it's a lot better for the organization that airline is is you know, not offline for a month in terms of the, the other area i talk about to, to boards is that competitive advantage piece really it's, it's leveraging the power of ai and technology to to get ahead and yeah there are lots of sort of examples of that i think where uh, again they may be seen as sort of process improvement to some extent but now, one of your examples that HPE have is is in agriculture and crop spraying and stroke management, where video analytics is being used in real time to decide what that particular plant is fed in terms of fertilizer or pesticides as the vehicle is going over the top of it. You know, if you think of that from a, a, a process improvement perspective, yes, you're getting. Uh, using less pesticide or fertilizer but actually you're getting much better outcome in terms of plants but actually think about it from an environmental perspective as well uh, using less bad things uh, and getting more good things in terms of better 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 outcomes so there's a there's a real uh, i guess tech for good thing that ai can definitely deliver and it's i've been able to articulate those in the boardroom in, in common sense ways but also ideally in, in in costed ways as well because there's there's a obviously there's a there's a cost to not doing these but there's also a cost to doing these sort of projects and i think there's a i mean two great examples of where iot sensors are generating so much data it's physically impossible for human beings to analyze it anyway and the other the other side of that is that data is complex it's it's unstructured and as a result traditional programming techniques which are all based on rules so my rule will say if this happens then do that or do that you would need to define so many rules that it becomes impractical both in terms of creating them in the first place and also maintaining them so as a result you need to bring in something that's that's going to tackle that data in a different way and also how do you get a lot of knowledge that is in people's heads out so that you can build that into a more scalable model um, that you can execute? I, I do see it quite a lot inside customers. So the, the two most successful, I'm interested in your view as, as well, Howard, the two, two most successful implementations of AI. One is workload prioritization. So AI is can make decisions, but we as human beings don't necessarily trust them to at this stage. So it is a case of, I've got a stack of x-rays that I need to look at, and the AI just puts them into priority order. You know, look at this one first, because I think it is um, the highest priority. And Because AIs are great at grouping things together and making prediction based on unstructured data. And the other one, the other key use case that, that I see is where it's about coming in from sensors because you can't human beings can't process them and it might well be that you've got two valves and valve a is going to fail but you will see that that valve failure in valve b first because valve b starts to see a pressure change and an expert would look at it and say valve a is going to change but you can teach an AI to do that in extreme scale across the production line so that it can look at things holistically and work out 
when things are going when when things are going to fail. So as a result, you can build that into your maintenance processes. I, mean, I don't know if that's something that you're sort of seeing in conversations that you're having as well. Yeah, definitely. The uh, one example that somebody gave me once was in the context of a oil refinery and. Uh, put it plainly, really, uh, talking about specific pumps and, uh, in layman's terms, said, if that, think of that pump as a as a printing press for money. If it isn't pumping, it isn't printing money. Yeah. And anything that we can do to, to predict, you know, look, we've seen the pattern before, we've seen the failures before, we can build patterns around that. So when we, we can then sort of start to work backwards upstream, really. So when did that pattern of, uh, of of data start to change and we saw the saw the early signs historically of uh, that, that component within that pump failing uh, and try and get upstream so we can as soon as we start seeing that pattern repeating itself we know to a pretty high percentage that that's going to be a failure of that particular component again because we've sort of got the data set and we've built the patterns that that that, that corroborate that and and those things are you know Downtime for hours or days is can be thousands, millions of pounds. You know, I guess you put it into the city context, in terms of financial services. Uh, you know, seconds are millions. Never mind uh, hours and days. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other one is from a. It was just talking about downtime. The tools that so if you are running AI projects, then you have people working on building out that tooling and if the tools like you can't build this stuff on a whiteboard you know you can't build it on pen and paper you it's a a technology driven thing if the technology is unavailable for those people are working on it then they can just sit around doing nothing so that's another key consideration when it comes to how you start on an ai project you need a, a an infrastructure that's going to support the workload that you want your data scientists or your whoever is building the models to work on. And it needs to scale in terms of the, the linear needs of, of the people who are working on it. But also you need it to be highly available because otherwise you're going to have potentially teams of people sitting around with, waiting for the, the infrastructure that they're using to become available again. So definitely around engaging with a partner with the right kind of platforms that can be deployed in the right kind of way that are going to give people working on building these models the tools and techniques that they need in order to be successful, um, I think is definitely a critical success factor when it comes to getting successful projects off the ground. So, I mean, one of the areas where we do see quite a lot of, of work and some of the pitfalls around AI are templating. You know, it's a case of how you build the templates that enable people to work with this kind of technology. It's not new. It's not new. You know, it's been around since the 1950s in terms of the maths and heavily worked on for the past nearly 80 years. Um, so I definitely see it as being something that's quite, quite transformative. So just, I think if we talk, I don't know if there are any other use cases you can talk about, Howard, where you've either seen implementation of an existing software product or whether or not you've seen customers working on building out their own um, AI engagements or anything that you've worked with HPE on? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, it's, and it's, again, AI doesn't have to be pure AI. I think it's can be a combination of things. And uh, we've talked a little bit about sort of sensor stroke IOT 
based technology. And one interesting example uh, that we've done some pilot work on, actually, it's not gone live yet, but uh, is around uh, is around retail, actually, and namely high street retail, uh, whereby I'll sort of cut to the chase here. There's a, a high, high street gaming company uh, that has a, a you know, a, a, an on-premise, let's say, lots of hundreds of gaming shops up and down the country, or, but also has a an online presence. Now, if you're an online customer for them, they know everything about you because regu- regulations mean that you've got to sign up to give them the nth degree as well as uh, all your financial details because they, you know, they want to charge you for these the pleasure of doing business with them as well. But actually, their traditional business and, and that particular sector was grown out of, of the high street. But in reality, the high street is is eons behind in terms of the use of technology. Fine, they may have uh, machines within each high street uh, location, but in reality, they they may know that my name is Howard and that I have two sugars in my tea. But uh, that's probably about the, the crux of it. But in terms of what I do and 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 when I do it and how I do it, uh, they don't know that historically. So we we worked on a really interesting pilot with these guys. Won't name the, the company. Not appropriate to do so at this stage. But uh, uh, they wanted to know more about their clients. They wanted to be able to uh, alert their clients uh, for the good. I, there's certain things about to happen that they may be interested in, but also for the, the bad, which we see. You know, problem gambling uh, today needs to be managed and monitored. So, you know, data is a is a great way of doing that. And they wanted to build a relationship that was more than them knowing my first name and I have two two sugars in my tea because I go in there on a very very regular basis. So it came about really by by using combination of uh, of Bluetooth beacons within within store and having a customer app. And of course, an app on your phone and using Bluetooth is a immediate negative there in terms of it draws power. Uh, so you've got to have a reason for the app to be turned on, and the, the reason. For the app to be turned on this use case was uh, as a we, we emulated a, a, a reward, uh, I guess, incentive that every visit you 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 made you got a, a tick in in the box electronically, and then after sort of ten visits you probably got the free cup of tea or or, or whatever they wanted to reward reward with. I didn't go into details there, but actually, when I sign up for the app, I actually designate it and, and gave a bit of information. I have to give my, my, my name and my details, of course, so that's got to be on my first name. Uh, I've been Howard, the guy who has two sugars in his tea, uh, but also it got into the fact that uh, I have my preferences. So I like uh, sports that I like is soccer, you know, uh, horse racing, and cricket, and of course. Uh, with that, when the Grand National's coming up, I can be uh, I can be engaged with as a as a customer, or when the European Championships are coming, I can be engaged with in advance, as opposed to it being a reactive play. This is in context of uh, of, of High Street as well, but also for every visit that I make, uh, I can see what I'm actually looking at because of where I'm actually located within within the store. Uh, and also, the, the big thing for this particular organisation is I can build a pattern of engagement up to see, you know, if I'm there very, very often. In which case, the, there's lots of the support um, messages need to be pushed my way. Uh, I am there too often. Uh, I, you know, there may be a problem there in terms of addiction. 
or the other alternative is I've not been for a long time. So they build up a pattern of engagement and can see that our, my normal pattern is, is, is every Tuesday or every Thursday or a combination of the two. And, and when that pattern changes, I can be, uh, be contacted to say, hello, Howard, uh, so you haven't been in for a while. Is everything okay? And uh, potentially the Grand National's coming up and there's a, there's a, a reason to, to come back to us. Uh, so that's what sort of one use case. I use it in that particular context. So that's a real context. But actually, put that in the con- in other retail contexts as well. Uh, there's a lot of sort of power there in terms of sort of building up that engagement with your clients on a, a one-to-one basis, if that makes sense. And you can't do that with humans, you know. If the the two sugars in my tea and the and the first name is is built out of purely that, you know, I, I was a regular client. It's talking hypothetically here. Of that particular uh, organisation, and, and you know, through that, they, they knew that uh, knew those things. But that's all they knew. Uh, it's only machines and, and technology that can actually go into a much sort of deeper engagement and make that sort of seamless and and, and rapid in terms of the experience that, that can be given. So that's a, a, just an interesting one that's a little bit off the cuff, a little bit strange, but it does get you thinking about your sort of everyday engagement with you know, the retailers that you and, and your, your wife and you've wives, husbands, and families are, are engaged with and, and what is the art of the possible, basically. It's also a demonstration of you, you can't have human beings processing this. You can't have human beings sitting there looking at this information and working out how to group it or classify it or or, or va- find the value from it. It's just physically impossible for them, for them to do that. But that's not correct. It is possible for them, for them to do that, but there's there is a limit You've limited your business process by putting people in, in involved in a process they don't need to be involved in. And that's really where you get organizations. If you look at all of the most successful organizations who've hit near linear scalability, they've all taken human beings out of those processes that they don't need to be involved in. And what they've done is they've put human being, they've, they've used artificial intelligence, machine learning techniques that filter out of all of that information, find the valuable stuff, and then present that valuable stuff to key decision makers so that they can run their organizations, so they can run the, the part of the business that they're operating with in the most efficient way. We do we do quite a lot of stuff with blue light contact centers. And what, what the contact center, uh, from a blue light perspective, want to do, they've got some challenges around something called failure demand, which is when... A call comes in, but it doesn't actually result in a an activity related to that blue light service. Um, prime examples: my cat is stuck up a tree, my uh, neighbour's parked across my drive, things along those lines. But you still need to understand that that has come in, because by allowing by understanding that information has come in into a blue light contact center it allows them to more effectively manage the limited resources they've got and they can do things like offload information onto the IVR for people to interact with in a different way so having that broad command and control view allows very very informed decision making to happen about how you're deploying your limited resources so that they can be much, much more effective in terms of how they're driving what you're trying to achieve as a, from a business perspective. A challenge that I do encounter quite a lot um, 
how I don't know if you want me to talk about it is the, you know what's the difference between artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. These are some of the key things that some of the key terms that in in the lexicon of AI that I see from engaging with customers and projects that I'm working on um, is that lack of understanding between what each one of these differentiated technologies do. That'd be great. Yeah, if you don't mind that, though, I think that'll be very useful for our listeners. Yeah, thanks. Yes, so I think AI is a broad term and it's really divided into, into two main categories, something called strong AI, which is an AI that is capable of operating at the same level a human being can. We're not there yet. This is the stuff of science fiction. What we are into is narrow AI or weak AI, which is AI that focuses on a specific use case. So I'm sure we've all spoken to our digital assistants and they've not understood what we're talking about. And that is because narrow AI is quite brittle. So if we focus in on that area and we peel back the onion, machine learning is a sub-discipline inside artificial intelligence. And machine learning is a machine that is capable of learning without being explicitly programmed. I'll explain what I mean by that. Traditional rules tell me if something happens, then do something else or do something else. Machines are learned by showing them lots of data and telling them when they are or are not don't correctly interpret that data. There are lots of ways of achieving machine learning. Um, the most successful have been, how do I replicate the biological brain? And we do that by thinking about the most successful learning entity on the planet, which is a biological brain. And we need to replicate that into the digital world. And that comes in the form of something called an artificial neural network. So an artificial neural network is a machine that is artificially intelligent. All of that is achieved using mathematical models. Do you need to know these mathematical models? No, because some very, very clever people have taken these mathematical models and implemented them into software frameworks that you could incorporate into your application development. So you don't need to have that detailed understanding. You can write an, an, an AI in less than 10 lines of code. So it's all been done in such a way that it's easy to consume this technology because you can leverage a lot of the great work that's been done in building out a whole bunch of frameworks that mean that you can take... We, we, so take that all of that complexity away. Where is the problem space? Data. Finding the right data that is going to allow you to build out the AI in the right kind of way. And, as we've talked about quite a lot in this podcast series, finding the right business processes that you can tackle using AI technology. I mean, just as a slightly different question, Howard, I don't know if you've seen any customers who are thinking about using AI to tackle problems that are not AI problems? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're having the conversations all the time, but I think it, I'll sort of turn that a little bit on its head, really, and just ask you a question, if that's okay. But, uh, you know, HP Enterprise's strategy over the last couple of years has been is driven by that sort of cloud-to-edge uh, platform-as-a-service business, I think, is the, is the strap line, isn't it? Uh, what are you seeing in terms of... Uh, that edge piece 
and how that is driving sort of AI from a HPE perspective. Because again, we're seeing lots of stuff, you know, new stuff. And I think where the competitive advantage in a lot of industries is going to be is, is around the edge. And it's the, not just the speed of, um, of, of change, but also the accuracy. And that's where I, I would say AI is going to play a really significant part. So I wonder if you want to elaborate on that because it's a core part of HPE's overall strategy. And, and because of that, it's part of DTP's overall strategy as well. One of the ways to think about AI is there's kind of two sides to it. There's something called training, which is how I train my artificial intelligence model. So I show it lots of data and um, I, I improve its accuracy over a period of time. The other side is inference. So this is execution of the model. And there is quite a big difference between how I train my model and how I execute my model in terms of the infrastructure requirements that underpin this. When it comes to looking at the edge, which really is um, you know, the, the massive explosion of data, if you look at all of the analysts, they're starting to predict that 70% of all data is going to be generated outside of the traditional data center or the cloud. It's going to be generated at the edge because the edge is where business events are happening. If we start to look at the AI use cases that we can apply across that, so what, what do we consider as the edge? Well, for us, HPE, we power the International Space Station. So for us, the edge is the edge of space. But for, for, for lots of other organizations, the edge is on an oil rig. It's in a production facility. It's in a supermarket it's anywhere where I can't run traditional data center focused infrastructure, where I need to run infrastructure specifically designed for harsher environments. And I need to take the complicated or the model, the complex models that I've built centrally, or the models that I've bought in from um, other organizations who've already tackled those problems, and I can run them as close to the business event as possible. And why do I want to do that? Because if we start to think about the volume of data that is generated, do I want to capture it all? No. I want to take the information and at the point that it is generated or gathered, understand whether or not it is information that I'm going to get a value out of. And if it is, I want to take that back to the back to the data center. And I want to take that into my decision, the, the decision-making capabilities that I've got give you some examples you, you talked about retail big problems in retail shrinkage so how do i use ai technology that is going to look at a large retail store including the warehouse could have 250 cameras i've got one or two security guards monitoring those cameras all the time high degree of error when looking for suspicious behavior there are some, there's some great technology out there that will look at those cameras and it will do a number of things. It will spot suspicious behavior, but it'll also spot heat maps. It'll, it'll map out where people, how people are traveling around store so I can do informed decisions about product placement. You can also do things like sentiment analysis. So you don't need to capture the identity of somebody, but you can capture whether or not they are happy or sad. So you can start to capture information around how people are interacting with the physical environment and they're in from a store perspective using 
AI techniques. And if we start thinking about the volume of people that are moving around a store, that's quite significant. So you can't have physical people observing all of this and making note of all of this information that you can feed back in to centralized decision making that are defining how a store is laid out. Or you you really struggle to have a limited number of people constantly monitoring hundreds of CCTV cameras for suspicious behavior. So what the AI can do is say, look at camera 22B, because I believe there's some suspicious behavior. And we start to look at some of the statistics purely by sending a member of staff into the same aisle as the suspicious behavior is happening. You have a, the the suspicious behavior significantly reduces And as a result, there is a material impact on store shrinkage levels. So just a couple of things there, Howard, about how we're seeing AI used at the edge to really tackle real-world business problems. And these are the kind of things that, from a HPE perspective, we're working with customers actively on on a day-to-day basis. And what about sort of bleeding edge techs as well, which is things like self-driving cars? I mean, again, you, you just can't process data centrally there because the decision needs to be made in a millisecond you know as and when it's generated i the camera sees something it needs to say yes no or stop yeah great example so hpe we are the infrastructure provider for zenuity and zensact so they were the so volvo cars decided that they weren't a software company specifically focused at building autonomous driving cars so they took all of the engineering effort and they combined with a company called Zentact to create Zenuity. So, and Zenuity said to HPE, we're not a global infrastructure company. We want to build highly autonomous vehicle, the software to drive highly autonomous vehicles. So what we HPE do is we do everything else. So we run the ruggedized compute platforms in the cars we get the data from the cars right the way through into the data scientists that allows them to focus on building the models so you do need compute infrastructure in cars that is going to make that edge-based decision about how your car is operating it's not feasible for your car to make a round trip conversation to a data center to get information around a decision that it needs to make at the edge. So definitely it's about pushing the capability as close to the business event as possible because it takes away all of the latency concerns. It takes away the concerns about jitter, about how long it's going to take to round trip to get the decision back because I need to make that decision when, as soon as possible because we are seeing consumer demand shifting. It's at an all-time high. You know, expectations are, are significant about high personalization. I, I, I want your services to be available on my timescales, not on your timescales. And I expect you to be helping me in, make informed decisions about how I want to interact with your product. So a lot of those demands are really having a significant shift on both consumers and how they're buying and all organizations should be listening to their consumers and how they're buying and adapting accordingly which does mean that they need to bring in differentiated ways of interacting with their consumers so that they're offering them the kind of services that i think 
that they're expecting. And in, in many cases, they're demanding. So that does mean that you need to think differently about how you're engaging with your customers. And because if you don't think in that way, I can guarantee your competitors are. That's back to the competitive advantage aspect, isn't it, really? Which is, you know, we've, we sort of keep circling around to... Really interesting chat, Howard. Um, thanks very much for that. Really appreciate spending some time talking about some of the innovative things that DTP are doing um, and also getting an opportunity to explain some of the areas where HPE are involved in driving interesting conversations with customers. So hopefully... Anyone who's listening has found some value in the conversation over the past few episodes where we've talked about some of the challenges around AI, some of the ways of overcome those challenges, some of the interesting use cases where you can deploy this type of transformative technology, and also a little bit about what it is and, and kind of how it works. Obviously, if you've got any questions at all or want to reach out, please feel free to reach out to DTP Group .co.uk or hpe.com, where we'll be more than happy to help you understand how you can bring this transformative technology into your environment to really give you competitive differentiation. And as we've talked about historically, kind of this is where things are moving to. We're getting to the point where, and I'm sure you're seeing this, the volume of data that's coming in on a daily basis, it's a tsunami. So it's either going to it's either going to wash you away or you're going to put in place the techniques that you need to embrace this tsunami, find out where those real nuggets of value are and really start to capitalize on them. So once again, thank you for listening and uh, keep it simple. Mm-hmm.